Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening. It, welcome back to When Banned Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship and the arts. My name's Todd Sullivan. Joining me as always is Oren Barter. Hello. And today we are covering the final 100 pages of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. I can't sip. I'm drinking out of a. Uh, I'm having cranberry cinnamon cider, and it is very difficult to slurp out of a glass thing like this. Sounds good. I think I've had that before. It's actually really good. Uh, I am uh, drinking <sighs> a uh, a quintessential summer beverage in the middle of November. Uh, right. I picked I up. Mean... I picked up a case of White Claws. So what's White Claws? It's another one of those um, low-carb soda and vodka beverages, but whereas a lot of them have zero sugar, um, the White Claws have one gram of sugar, which compared to like a nude or a neutral or, you know, some of those that have zero grams of sugar, White Claws have so much more flavor just because of that one, one gram, gram of sugar, sugar like yeah. between zero and one makes a <laughs> lot of difference especially if you're used to zero yeah if you're yeah. used to zero then you go to one major total total life-changing experience i'm sure yeah i mean if you're used to like you know 20 grams of sugar in your beverage and then you go to a white claw you might not have such a good time but, <laughs> but oh, even uh, though they're they're sort of well known for the the summer you know breezy you know mm-hmm. beach drinks with a with the claws in their name, I feel like they could come up with like a winter Santa Claus, oh yeah, uh, kind of package as well. But egg, um, egg, eggnog, eggnog white claws, yeah, eggnog uh, white claw. Why not? Yeah, let's just cranberry, hard. cranberry white claw. Um, Actually, okay, that's way better than yeah. I was joking yeah. about the eggnog because carbonated <laughs> eggnog would just be awful. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, cranberry, uh, mandarin orange. Hey, uh, yeah, that's right. What else? What else would be a uh, uh, fucking uh, cinnamon? Uh, fucking cinnamon. I don't know. I'm just throwing shit out there now. Yeah. Um, before we get into discussing uh, the the last part of our book, mm-hmm. I wanted to to stop and draw attention to something that I don't think we talk about enough. Uh, maybe we've never talked about it at all which is the fact that our intro and exit music that people listen to every time they sit down to enjoy this fine podcast isn't just something we downloaded off of some website somewhere with royalty-free music. It was created by Mr. Oren Barter, who is sitting across the virtual desk for me. And uh, I love our song. I love the way it, it introduces, you know, the, you know, the kind of podcast we are and uh, just... Just thank you so much for for your creativity and for uh, for all the things you have done to help bring this podcast to life. Finally, some fucking recognition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I had a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun doing this. It kind of broadens my creative horizons a little bit. Something I haven't done before is vocal, or not not like vocals, like music vocals, but just like what was you speech. Right, mm. it's a different it's a different animal altogether, and uh, hopefully I'm getting a little bit better every time. Except for uh, I guess that would be 
not the last episode from here, but two episodes ago when I was uh, recording. Oh, we had the, another mic mishap, yeah. <laughs> I was recording with the microphone from my computer, which was uh, no bueno. At least it wasn't yeah. across the room this time. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's one of those things that we should have we should have learned how to avoid that by now, and yet. And you know, I was even look. I don't know if I commented to you or not, but I was looking at my computer screen because I like to watch the wave file being created as I'm recording, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "There's just some. There's something wrong about this wave format, right? Like, it just had some weird peaks and valleys, and I was. It just didn't seem right. But I was like, "Hey, maybe I crank the microphone." You know, I was thinking, hey, maybe I'm actually getting a proper recording this time. <laughs> but I was so very wrong. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember if you mentioned it the day of recording. I remember telling you the next day when I sat down to edit um, that your audio was awful. <laughs> uh, and you were like, ah, I knew something was wrong because I could see something in the waves. <laughs> uh, before we get too far ahead, I did want to um, actually uh, mention I am drinking the cider, but it's almost done. I, sh- I shared that one with the girlfriend. I also got a beer from Red Collar Brewing, which is oh, in your hometown. Right here in Kamloops, yeah. In Kamloops, um, called Squash Gordon, which is a lovely... Oh, so that would be like a gourd, like a pineapple, pumpkin, pineapple, what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> Some kind of a, a gourd, pumpkin-y kind of thing. I'm assuming it's a pumpkin. It looks like a pumpkin, but yeah, because pumpkin's a squash and it's also a gourd, so Squash yeah. Gordon, I thought that was a great pun. That's and a great I, name, yeah. I know how much you hate puns, so... <laughs> I'm growing to appreciate them a bit more, I guess. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to crack that right now. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too. You should have let me know you were going to be drinking that. I would have gone and tracked that down, because I'm sure I could probably find it hopefully easier than you can. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. I got it yesterday. I should have yeah. mentioned something, yeah. All right, so without further ado, let's dig into uh, the final... The final chapters. Uh, <laughs> chapters 31 to 46... Of the Handmaid's Tale. So, I mean, if my notes are correct, we've only got like four sections here, right? We've got Jezebel's, which covers 31 to 39, mm-hmm. Night, which covers chapter 40, Salvaging, which covers chapter 41 to 45, and Night, which covers chapter 46. Jezebel's is pretty long, though. I have a lot of notes about Jezebel's and even some uh, some quotes I wanted to read from the book. The first thing that we that I have a note of um, from Jezebel's has to do with how the Jews were dealt with mm-hmm. following the change in in society in Gilead, because of course, as you trend, you know, as it becomes this entirely Christian society, that's not going to be one that's welcoming of those of the Jewish faith, um, and so basically they they were. They were called the sons of Jacob, uh, and they were given a choice to either convert to Christianity and remain in uh, Gilead, or they had to uh, set sail to return to Israel. Yeah. Um, Which seems like, you know, compared to what they did with, you know, women who'd been married twice, is a slightly better alternative or a slightly better, you know, series of options, I guess. Although I guess this comes up in the context, too, of how they do find them like Jews that are still practicing in Gilead and how they're sort of rounded up and and executed for that. Yeah. And also might be jumping ahead a little bit though, but there is another mention of this later in the book, but we'll, I'll talk about that when we get closer to that. Okay. 
Um, we also find out that amongst the, this network of women, be they um, handmaids or Marthas or or whatever, that are sort of like working together to pass information amongst them, that there is a password. Mm-hmm. Mayday. I guess this all comes up whilst um, Alfred is hitting the marketplace with of Glenn, because my note has her returning home, um, passing Serena, and then Serena summons her, summons her mm-hmm. uh, where she's been knitting, and uh, they talk a little bit about whether or not she thinks she's pregnant. Um, she doesn't think she is. Serena suggests that maybe the commander uh, isn't able to and then suggests that maybe they could, you know, try getting of Fred knocked up with somebody else. Which is like a huge, I don't know, it, that was mind-blowing to me. that Because uh, Serena just seemed so cut and dry without the whole situation, right? Like, it was uh, not the interaction I was expecting. Between the two, well, of it's them. all very, it's all very sort of just ordinary conversation for us. I mean, I wouldn't say ordinary conversation; it's pretty subtle. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like given how big an infraction that really technically is, um, to have it brought up again. But I mean, we're seeing already that the society, you know, that has all of these structures and rules, mm-hmm. is very blasé about breaking them. Right? Like the commander has bring, been bringing um, a Fred into his, you know, office at night pretty regularly, which isn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Now here comes Serena Joy with this whole, like, hey, maybe you should go fuck Nick and see if maybe he can make you pregnant. <laughs> which um, we were talking about, like, are they going to get together? Yeah. And I, I figured it was going to happen. I did not see it happening this way. No, me neither. I thought they would do it in their own secret, like, breaking the rules kind of way. Yeah, Not exactly. in Serena Joy breaking the rules, like, yeah, you may as well go, you may as well go fuck the Guardian over there. Get yourself yeah. pregnant, get out of my fucking hair. <laughs> um, and so, of Fred, you know, she she kind of weighs it all um, because, of course, this is something that could, it is something that could work against her mm-hmm. uh, if anyone found out that that's what she was doing. Um, but at the same time, if she's not able to get pregnant, then that's something that's going to work against her too. So she's yep. kind of between, you know, a rock and a hard place. So she relents and agrees to go uh, go ahead with it. Serena offers to find a picture of Alfred's daughter. Yeah, that was uh, that was nutty. Yeah, um, which yeah, so much kind of interesting stuff that that is revealed just from that. That like a the daughter's still alive, which is great to know, but also that like Alfred, I'm sorry, Serena mm-hmm. knows where the daughter is. Is has obviously been aware for some time where the daughter is, and like, and like knows basically knows who this woman is who's in her house. She knows she probably knows what happened to Luke. She probably, you know, she definitely knows where her daughter is yep. and who her daughter is. Like, yeah. Um, and then you know, as a as sort of a, a thank you, I guess uh, Serena gives Alfred a cigarette, which is yeah, awfully generous of her, and then tells her go go get a match from. Well, Martha, she goes and gets a match. I mentioned this because it. I, I took these notes down because I assumed the match was going to be, you know, important later on. I but thought spoiler, so too. Yeah. Spoiler, it's not. But I think that's probably the intention there, too, is to... I guess there were other things. Like, you you were talking about last episode, the um, the gardening shears. The shears, yeah. The shears never something came up else. again. But they yeah. were, like, she hinted at the shears so much. I yeah. was convinced those shears are... That something's going to happen. Um. 
Yeah, but nothing happened with him. Yeah. So I guess it feels like there's this this sense of, um, in spite of there being not necessarily escapes, but potential places where they could, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not attack, but like just push back, I guess. Um, they they never take them, maybe out of fear, maybe out of, you know, just, yeah. So she does end up taking the match and hiding it in her, in her mattress or, you know, under her bed um, to use later instead of smoking the cigarette. Which must have taken a lot of willpower because she used to smoke. Yeah, but it's been a few years, too. That's true, yeah. I mean, once you've quit smoking for, I think, three years, you're pretty much pretty clean. Okay. So then she's off to visit the commander again. Um, she notes that he has started drinking during their visits. Mm-hmm. Um, she also notes that she has heard from Glen that her commander is kind of fairly up there in the chain of power. Right. And there's two two portions here that I wanted to read from the book. Okay. This is chapter 32. We are in 32, yes. Yeah, okay. So this goes, I guess this is a follow-up, I think, to something that had been, that had come up earlier about um, why they had made the changes that they did. Mm-hmm. And this is the commander sort of speaking to Alfred. The problem wasn't only the women, he says. The main problem was with the men. There was nothing for them anymore. Nothing, I say. But they had, there was nothing for them to do, he says. They could make money, I say, a little nastily. Right now, I'm not afraid of him. I'm, I'm, it's hard to be afraid of a man who is sitting watching you put on hand lotion. This lack of fear is dangerous. It's not enough, he says. It's too abstract. I mean, there was nothing for them to do with women. What do you mean, I say? What about all the porny corners? It was all over the place. They even had it motorized. I'm not talking about sex, he says. That was part of it. The sex was too easy. Anyone could just buy it. There was nothing to work for, nothing to fight for. We have the stats from that time. You know what they were complaining about the most? Inability to feel. Men were turning off on sex, even. They were turning off on marriage. Do they feel now, I say? Yes, he says, looking at me. They do. So all of that female subjugation uh, is just so that men can feel something. Seems legit. Right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I actually I actually made a note about, the, I think it was around the same area, kind of the same conversation, something that you had mentioned to me. I don't think it was on an actual podcast, but it was just when we were speaking between the two of us. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned uh, something about like a utopia and how a utopia has to be good for everybody involved. Yeah. You could probably explain that better again, if you wouldn't mind. And then I'll, I'll Yeah, so it was this idea of um and it was during a podcast, but it was near the end of last episode and it, it has been cut. So um okay. when you're creating a society, you need to make sure that it works for everyone, even if you don't know who you're gonna be in that society, right? Yeah. So it's easy to you know create a society where like all the rich, powerful people are rich and powerful, and you like that because you're gonna be one of the rich and powerful people. But what if you're gonna be a homeless guy living under a bridge? Don't you want to try to create a society that's beneficial for them as well? Because you don't know who you're going to be in this. Right. And I think I know um, which bit you're thinking about, because I highlighted that bit as well, um, which is kind of the commander admitting that maybe they didn't quite make a perfect society. Yeah. He says, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, is what he says. We thought we could do better. 
Better, I say in a small voice. How could he think this is better? Better never means better for everyone, he says. It always means worse for some. Yeah, that last bit, that's what I had. Yeah, and that's, it's not true, but it, you can see that as that justification, right? He right. was he was in a position to create a new society that would be better for him. And if it's not better for any, you know, other people, well, sucks to be them, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's just how it, that's just the way it is. That's just that's just the reality of it, right? That's just that's, you get to be basic, one of the broken. Yeah, that's his that's his way of justifying his own actions. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pravaganza. The next, the yeah, Pravaganza is the next thing, and I'm so glad we got to see what that was. <laughs> um, well, we've seen birthmobiles, we've seen the black vans. Yeah, so all the things that came up really early on that we were like, "What are these things? They're yeah. cool names." But will we find out? We've pretty much found out what they all are. Um. Pravaganza, uh, she's off to the Pravaganza where uh, they see Janine, uh, who has apparently already been sent off to another commander. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like the baby she had didn't make it. Someone said it was a shredder. Yeah. And that was like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't I don't know exactly what that means, but it, it does feel like, you know, it's the implication that, like, this baby didn't work out, so we, we toss it in the shredder. That, that really um, does, I like, that's the way I took it, and uh, I'm wondering if, like, it was alive, but just there was something wrong with it, and they just, which is so much worse than abortion. Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, oh, yeah, that one stuck with me. Um... They talk also about how uh, they think Janine blames herself mm-hmm. uh, because she lost two children now and apparently lost one b- from before. And thinking that it's because she was sinful because she used a doctor for this one. Right. Um, but I also thought it was interesting how of Fred thinks about how, you know, in blaming herself, she's also creating some kind of meaning in her life, right? Mm-hmm. Like if everything is so meaningless that that at least in saying, oh, it's because of something I did, it it gives you that little it means you had a little bit of control somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was kind of a creepy idea that like you would you would cling to something that profoundly negative just to have any kind of meaning in your existing existence. Your existing existence. Your existing existence. <laughs> uh, and then we have a, a quick flashback to the Red Center, which is what it was mm-hmm. called. They finally got the name, Red Center. What did you call it before? Uh, you were close. Uh, the Red School, I think. Yeah, yeah, you were close. I was close. Um, where we see Janine went a little bit loopy back then, mm-hmm. and uh, Moira had to like slap the shit back into her senses. Um, and then <laughs> there's a, a section here that it's not really super relevant to the story but i wanted to read it because it's it's another one of those sections that that show um margaret atwood's um her ability with words mm-hmm. um this is right at the start of chapter 34 where um there's um uh, the commander in charge of the pravaganza comes in at the, at the start of the, at the front of the room he's dressed in his uniform <clears throat> and and um Margaret Atwood writes, it's hard not to be impressed, but I make an effort. 
I try to imagine him in bed with his wife and his handmaid, fertilizing away like mad, like a rutting salmon, pretending to take no pleasure in it. <laughs> I just love that idea of a, a rutting salmon. Um, uh, well, I mean, salmon do die after fertilizing eggs, don't they? There you go. <laughs> Not so much the commanders, though, sadly. No. Um, there was a couple of things in... Uh, one thing in particular in chapter 33 that I wanted to touch on before we, we jump too far ahead here. Oh, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, because um, I think this is 34 now. Yeah, so uh, page uh, 236, I think th- these are the actual pages of the book, not just the pages of my e-reader. Um, <clears throat> but we had talked about like a lot of what, uh, you know, the birthmobile, the pravaganza. There was another one that came up, which was the unwoman. And you had talked about the colonies possibly being Canada. Um, yeah, it's not. But, no, it's not, yeah. Uh, but uh, they do say something here. Then they burn you up with the garbage like an unwoman. So it sounds like not every unwoman gets sent to the colonies or the colonies. I did find out what that was later on. But when I read this, yeah. I was thinking maybe the colonies was like, you know, when your dog gets sent to live on a farm, right? Oh, we're, I see. We're gonna send her to the colonies or like that. Uh, did you ever watch *You're in Town*? That uh, musical I was. No, in? no, I didn't. Right, like anybody who broke the law in that kind of world was sent to urine town, which was really they were just killed, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe that was what an unwoman and what the uh, uh, the colonies were. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to bring that up before we jumped ahead. I found that yeah. interesting. We we do find out what the colonies are, and it's worth noting that you know being burnt up might actually be a better option than going <laughs> to the colonies. Yeah, yeah. Um. So we find out. That, um, as is to be expected, I guess, Pravagansas and most things, like salvagings as well, as we'll find out later, they're not they're not universal things, right? So there's like there's a women's pravaganza and there's men's pravagansas. And um, women's pravagansas are for weddings, essentially, um, where uh, angels who have, I guess, survived the battlefield come back to meet um, the the women that they are going to be married to by arrangement. Um, whereas apparently men's pravagansas are, uh, to celebrate military victories. Mm-hmm. We find out that of Glenn knows that, uh, Fred has been seeing the commander. She knows unofficially. a lot of shit. Yeah. She has a lot of information about a lot of people. But we also gradually find out that, that she's kind of connected to the underground. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in that sense, she 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 encourages of Fred to try to like just find out whatever she can from the commander, um, get him to reveal anything that maybe they can use. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I had another quote here too, and again, this is this is more about how 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 society's improved since the forming of Gilead. We've given them more than they've taken away," said the commander. "Think of the trouble they had before." Does she remember the singles bars, the indignity of high school blind dates, the meat market? Don't she remember the terrible gap between the ones who could get a man easily and the ones who couldn't? Some of them were desperate. They starved themselves thin or pumped their breasts full of silicone, had their noses cut off. Think of the human misery. So it's better now. Well, better now. I mean, that's the thing. And I think that's something that, that Margaret Atwood does really well is she does bring up issues that were relevant and still are relevant in our society. Um, you know, the excess, the, you know, 
the violence, the over-sexuality, the, uh, um, this need to be perfect, um, this need to be important, all those things. But then she kind of like, <laughs> with, the, with this whole Gilead and the way that it functions, she shows how you can end up in a really bad place if you start to remove all of these freedoms and these dreams and these hopes and things like that too, right? I think mm -hmm. that she isn't saying that everything in our society is good, but I think with this book, she kind of like colludes to the fact that, you know, if we're too strict, things are going to be just fucking awful, right? And I don't, yeah. I don't know if she means that there's, there's a middle ground or if she means that everything's fine, carry on. I mean, I think it, it certainly it sucks that, you know, you know, not everyone can, you know, find a date. Uh, I am currently single in case there's anyone listening who wants to send me a message. Um, but I don't know if the solution to that is to, like, force people to marry someone. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I sort of, I, I, I still oppose the commander's argument there. I, I think, <laughs> I don't think he's got it quite right. And then uh, the commander, I don't know if it's in that same visit, I think it might be a, a different one, um, Alfred uh, comes to the commander's room and he's like, I have something for you. And it's like this, this, this sequency, shiny, uh, sexy outfit. And now this is where I stopped taking notes because I got so into this book at this point. Yep, me too. I just, I just read right up until the end. And I was like, oh, crap. I didn't take any yeah, notes, but it was That's so exactly, because I actually, until about 10 minutes before we recorded, I, I had absolutely zero notes for the salvaging section of this book. And I knew I couldn't go in to talk about it without it, some. So I had to quickly flip through that chapter and sort of remind myself what had happened, because I was exactly the same place. Like from here through to the end, it was just like page turning. Yeah. So, of Glenn, of Fred, not of Glenn, of Fred puts on the outfit. Um, the the commander gives her makeup, which is basically just lipstick. Was there some kind of eyeliner too? There was. Um, oh crap! What was it? Yeah, he gave her lipstick. He gave her some, like I think rouge or maybe some like cover up or something like that. But she, no, it was. I she put. She used the lipstick to like do her cheeks. Oh okay. Uh, and then there was something for her eyes as well. I think she complained that there was nothing for her eyes. Like there was no mascara or eyeliner or anything like that. No, I remember her saying that she had fixed her eyes later. Oh, okay. Well, fuck me then. No, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any notes on it, so I don't know. Um, and then and then she's got a pass. Yeah. Oh my God, they're leaving the house. They're going somewhere. What the hell's going on? Um, hang on a sec. I'm opening a beer. <laughs> I'm not. I'm opening a white claw. So, what did you think? Like, like we know now where they went, but what what did you think at the time? Um, I thought something pretty similar to what it was. I thought they were probably going to some kind of a party, some kind of a place where, with the commanders or the high ups would would meet with with. I assumed they, they were they would all be smuggling out their handmaids. Um, oh, okay, which is not really the case. See, um, I, I thought, I kind of thought that maybe they were going to a party and he was going to try and pass her off as his wife mm. at first. That's what I thought. But then that doesn't really make sense because Serena would know about the party and she would not, <laughs> she would not be okay with that. But yeah, no, it would have to have first. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then they end up, yeah, they end up at this place that we find out a little bit later is called Jezebel's. Uh, it is a former hotel that of Fred recognizes. She's the, been there before. With Luke, when with Luke, Luke was married to another woman and she was seeing him. Right. Oh, I missed that part. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. A um, little bit of a uh, an echo there. Mm-hmm. And then they get there and it's filled with, with women in sexy outfits and drinks and drugs and everybody's having a great time. Um. And then the uh, the commander goes off to get a Fred a drink, and <laughs> yeah, I I have one one word note here, and it was just Moira <laughs> exclamation mark. Yeah, we find Moira who is uh, is dressed up in um in a Playboy bunny outfit, and which is just so uh, such a juxtaposition for her personality. Yeah, well, I love the fact too, though, that like it wasn't it wasn't just like it's a Playboy bunny outfit, like. Margaret Atwood had to, like, she described all the details because, of course, I guess either of Fred had forgotten what they looked like or never knew. But, like, once all the details were described, anyone who was ever familiar with, like, the way the Playboy's money's dress was like, oh, that's totally what that is. Maybe it was a copyright thing. Maybe she wasn't allowed to say it. (laughs) Maybe. Um, And and, and so Maura finally catches of Fred's eye. Yeah. Gives her like the five minute signal that she used to give when they were in the red center to like you got five minutes to meet us in the washroom. Mm-hmm. Um, the commander comes back. Uh, Fred is like, "Can I go to the bathroom? Where is it?" Off she goes. Um, we have our uh, exciting reunion between of Glenn, of Fred, between of Fred and Moira, and and then we hear the story of. What happened after Moira's escape? But we don't really hear the story. This part kind of messed with me a little bit. Because the way that she's talking about it is she's leaving some people's names out on purpose. Yeah. That Moira did tell him. Because she's like, these people might still be wanted. I don't want to, you know. And I know that she's saying that to us in the terms of, like, we're reading the book. But then it really made me question, like, okay, where... Because she has hinted throughout the book that she's kind of talking to somebody, right? And sometimes she hints that she's just telling herself she's making the story for herself to occupy her time and just so that she doesn't forget. And then sometimes she hints that she actually is speaking to somebody. Well, so, I mean, do we, like, I guess at this point we can, you know, touch very briefly on, because those questions are answered in they are, the historical yeah. notes. Yeah, they are. T- um. So we might as well just like we find out at the end of the book in the historical notes that the entirety of the Handsmaid's Tale was a recording that this person made likely after they had escaped from Gilead because it was found, I believe, in a house in Canada. No, right? it was found in Gilead. Mm, okay, I don't, I don't it, agree. It, but no, okay. it was, it was found in Gilead, which because in the historical notes they talk about. Oh yeah, you know, I think you're right. They're like, why didn't she do this? When she was in, she most likely she went to Canada, and even in the historical notes, things seemed like super patriarch. Like pa- I can't say the word. You know what I mean? Yeah, patriarchal. Patriarchal, because they're like they. What did they call it? It was like the underground railroad, but they called or the, the female the road, female road, and then he, or the frail road, the frail road, and then everybody chuckled, and I was like, oh, okay. So I mean, Gilead's gone, but 
people are still assholes. Okay. But I think that that's what they were calling it at the time of Gilead as well. That's oh. not the name they came up for it after the fact. Oh, so okay. that's a naming convention that would have come out of the patriarchal society. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I got the sense because it was like, tw- anyway, I don't want to talk too much about the, um, the historical notes, except to confirm that we do know that this is a recording. And so, and it was a recording that was made after, essentially after the end of the book. So whatever she's telling here is mm-hmm. from memory as well, which explains, I think, some of the times where she's like, this is how it happened, but, you know, isn't how it happened. This yeah. is a, a recreation. Yeah, she says um, that She says that a few times. Like, this is just a recreation. I can't say for sure yeah. what the commander said or what I thought when he said that, but this is what I think I should have thought at the time. And Yeah. yeah. And that's what we get from... Um, for Moira's story as well. But we got another thing for Moira's story, which was interesting, which was the hiding of people's names and being very, like, being very careful in recreating Moira's story. She hasn't been super careful about anything else. Well, this is because the the people that, so, I mean, so Moira walks out of of the the Red Center dressed Mm -hmm. as one of the ants. And then... um, she walks for like practically a day to try to get to the house of some Quakers that she remembers because they had these these lists of of contacts among kind of the underground mm-hmm. that the different underground members like you would they would memorize a portion of the list and then um, they would destroy the list and so she remembers the name of this one Quaker uh, or the address of this one Quaker travels out to their house kind of in the hopes that she won't get turned in. Um, the Quakers offer to help get her to another house where they can kind of smuggle her out on this, you know, underground female railroad, mm-hmm. female road, female road, yeah. frail road. Um, and it's, it's this sort of interconnected houses on the frail road where they have to be okay, really careful. <laughs> they have to be really careful about who they identify and who they don't, because each mm-hmm. one only knows the next one in line. And and that, that's a security measure so that if one of them gets knocked out, they, they can't take out the whole railroad. Right. But it also means that if any one of them gets taken out, it can take a while to reconnect that missing link. Mm-hmm. And Moira almost got out. She made it as far as, was it Maine, I think? I'm not sure. Uh, somewhere along the ocean... She was supposed to be heading out to Canada by boat one night when, uh, as they st- left the, the house that she was in, they were caught um, and she was arrested, not sent back to the Red Center and instead sent to Jezebel's where, uh, yeah, basically you could, you know, live for a few years there, banging the important commanders and also um, foreign dignitaries who came by Gilead. And uh, you only had to work at night. There were all sorts of drugs and alcohol. And uh, and during the day, nobody cared what you got into. Um, so and- lesbianism was perfectly fine there. So it seemed like Moira was, I don't want to say she was, she was having a good time, but yeah. it did seem like she was acknowledging that maybe this was sort of the, the best the best place that she could find in this, in the situation. But like, let's also make a note that this is the same government that's imposing all of these strict rules on, of Fred and all these other people as well. And it's just because it's in their interest for trade, for information, for, for 
you know, whatever that, that this sort of thing goes on. And well, it's also though, it's also though, um, it's something the commander says at one point about how, um, nature, nature requires that men have variety, <laughs> right? So it's not so much that this, this is them breaking the rules of society. It's simply, this is something that men have to do. Men can't be connected to one woman forever. It's just not natural. Right, but women so, but, but women don't have any kind of natural thing that can't be forced down. Certainly not. Yeah, no, it's just guys like, oh yeah, we can't fight nature. You guys can. Yeah. You yeah. guys can. I guess well, well, I guess their thought is, well, a woman's nature is to give birth. Exactly. Right. A, a woman's nature is to uh, create life, to nurture life, give birth. And so, again, their society is just helping um, helping allow women to do what is in their nature. And that's that's pretty much all I remember about Moira's story. And it's all based on memory because I only have the one Moira note to go on. <laughs> well, yeah, I think like like she really did go in depth about the situation because they met a couple of times. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, through of Fred's recount of the conversation like i said she's really careful about not giving names not giving too many specifics just in case this information gets into the wrong hands and that's when i really started like okay like where is she saying this from like she's saying she's she's there's a position in time now i I believe where she is telling this story and it was Mm -hmm. really interesting to 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 get that answer in the historical notes because where the book ends, I mean, we're not quite there. I won't touch that yet, but yeah, you know, if, if it just ended there, so many questions. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so then we're pretty much done with uh, the Jezebel section and we go into part 13 night, which is chapter 40. Uh, Alfred returns from Jezebel's. Uh, it's quite late, but she's got even more stuff to do tonight because I guess she wasn't very good at scheduling. Uh, <laughs> this is the night she needs to meet up with Nick and try to get impregnated. So this this is the night where she's got to fuck Nick. Yeah. So she gets home. Uh, Serena comes to her door, knocks on the door, brings her out, sends her out like into the uh, garden. Is like go out there, take a right, knock the door. Ba ba ba. He's be waiting. She does all that, and, uh, and then they they uh, they fuck. But she takes like three different explanations as to how it happened, which were all very yeah. similar. Yeah, but not exactly the same. So not exactly the same. But it's clear that it's a different it's a different experience than when she's with the commander. That this oh, is oh yeah, it's more you know it's obviously more even though she's been told to do this by Serena Joy. There's a sense of her own volition in this, right? I think she's, she's been wanting to do this for a while. Oh, yeah. Like, ever since... I mean, she was interested in him when he whistled at her when he was cleaning the car, when she was like, hey, you shouldn't be doing yeah. that. Holy crap, this guy's bold. But then when they met at, like, in the middle of the night there, when she was sneaking yeah. around and they had yeah. that moment, right? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they have a little um, boink, boink, magic bow wow. <laughs> And then we can get to part 14, salvaging. Chapter 41 to 45. And some time has passed at this point, and we discover that um, of Fred and is Nick have preggers? been... She, well, yeah, she's, she seems likely pregnant, but more importantly, we've discovered that of Fred and Nick have been kind of hooking up on the reg. Mm-hmm. 
we also find out that uh, of Glenn is continuing to bug of Fred to try to get info from the commander. Specifically, she wants him, her to like break into his office in the middle of the night and steal some shit, whatever she can get her hands on. Um, of Fred is reluctant to do this and, and it seems like there's maybe kind of an erosion in their relationship. Well, I think there's an erosion in, in of Fred's disdain for the situation that she's in because she has found something that she enjoys. Yeah, that's a fair point. Something that's her own. She's found Nick. And I think that that might be enough for her to be able to continue on in this situation. And she's not interested in bringing it down at this point, you know? Yeah, that's a fair point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely, definitely, like, you, you do feel that kind of strain between of Fred and of Glenn, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in the next chapter, there's a, a bell ringing that signals a salvaging. Something else we heard about earlier, and now we're going to find out what that is. Super fucked up. Super fun. Is. Super good times. <laughs> it's an interesting word choice because, okay, so what a salvaging is, um, to cut right to it, is it's an execution. Yeah. In this case, there are three women who are being hung. Uh, two of them are handmaids, and one of them is a wife. Yeah. Now, I was trying to wrap my head around how what what element of this was the salvaging? Were they salvaging, like, in, in executing these people, was it an attempt to sort of salvage their souls from the crimes they committed? Is it about salvaging their society by eradicating these negative elements. Um, I feel like, yeah. Do you have another one? No, those are sort of the two big ones that, that came to mind and it's I, not, I feel like it wouldn't be salvaging the society. Cause that would show too much weakness. And I think that this whole society is built around this uh, image of strength. It's not that we need to salvage this, the society. We need to salvage these, people by making them pay yeah it was pretty fucked up yeah and then the guy are you gonna talk about yeah so we're not there yet um because i did want to mention one other thing um that i thought was interesting that um so first of all uh aunt lydia is the one who comes out and uh and is like the uh the master of ceremonies for the salvaging which Mm. of fred was sort of shocked by to see aunt lydia there and normally when they do a salvaging, I guess they would announce what crime it is that the people being executed had committed. But I guess what happened is that after every salvaging, instances of those crimes would increase afterwards. Mm-hmm. So they decided they were no longer going to do that. And so they're just executing them. See, and this is a phenomenon that we actually see in our everyday lives as well. Like... Uh, the media sensationalizing uh, suicides, for instance, creates an increase in suicides in those demographics. Mm, sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess probably not every single time, but same with school shootings, right? Sensationalizing school shootings. No, yeah, no, no. I'm no. going to have to disagree with you on that one. The media plays a big role in kind of promoting... Not on purpose, 
but I can't think of any school shooting that happened immediately after another school I wouldn't shooting. Say, I wouldn't say immediately. With any reason to think that it was prompted by the media coverage. I wouldn't say immediately after. That's not what I'm saying. It's not, I'm not saying it's a complete cut and dry. Right, but that is what's happening in the book. They're saying that there there is a surge immediately following the salvaging. Okay. And it's okay. In, and 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 of Fred's I think she kind of um her theory is that it reminds people what they're capable of. Like what everyone is so locked into the routines and so locked into the rules of order that they've forgotten that it is conceivable for them to like punch a commander in the face or stab the commander's wife or like you can act out and, and having, you know, in spite of the fact that these women are being executed for these crimes, it's a reminder of actions that you can take to assert your, your, your inherent freedom. And I thought that was really interesting that like, you know, even though you know that you'll be executed at the end of it, this this whole idea that uh, at least I will be free for a few minutes or a few days prior to that execution because now I'm reminded of the fact that I can. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And then once the uh, the salvaging is done, uh, everyone is about to go home. But there uh, is there's an exciting follow up. There's like a, it's almost like a, a a dessert after a nice meal. We get what is called a participation. This is another one of these fantastic names. Well, this is the first time we've heard this one. This is the first time we've heard about it, but this might actually be my favorite name. <laughs> this is so bad. And um, I want to point out <laughs> that um, this is a reference to the historical notes when they talk about the participation, that the name, uh, they, they suspect the name was inspired by like this... Um, uh, uh, this exercise program from the 80s. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am not. Okay, fill okay. me in. Participation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, I laughed out loud when I read that in the historical notes. It was like, holy... Because, of course, Margaret Atwood is Canadian, so, you know, oh, here's this, yeah, that this was, reference. That was, that was the whole, like, you know, get your body moving thing, right? The participation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Participation. <laughs> <laughs> ended up inspiring the uh, participation oh, oh mass execution. Um, oh. Yeah, hilarious. So anyway, so here's what a participation is. Oh um, they they bring in this. Uh, was it a, a are they general? Is that what they're called? I don't know, but I can't believe I didn't make that connection. <laughs> um. The low-level um, oh. security people, guardians, guardians, guardians. Yeah. So they bring in this guardian. He's had. He's got a bag on his head. He's had the shit beat out of him. He smells like vomit and and shit. And uh, he's a criminal who's been. He's accused of raping uh, two handmaids uh, and ending the pregnancy of one of them. And then, uh, so all of the handmaids have made a circle. And he is deposited into the center of the circle. And when Aunt Lydia blows the whistle, all of the handmaids can do whatever the fuck they want to him until she blows the whistle again. And then they have to stop. And basically, she blows the whistle. Everybody goes in and starts kicking the shit out of this guy. Um, of Fred is appalled by all this and keeps her distance. And she's kind of surprised to see of Glenn go in. Well, she took the lead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
when of Glenn comes back and of Fred is like, what the fuck were you doing? Of Glenn says like, he, he might've been one of us. So I basically kicked him in the head, knocked him out to put him out of his misery. I think she said that he definitely was one of them. I think it was more of a could have, but it really doesn't matter. The point being that like when she went in to participate, it wasn't in the same kind of gleeful um, violence as everybody else. It was like, I need, you know, this is the one thing I can do to help this guy who's going to, he's going to die at the end of it, no matter what. So at least I can hopefully render him unconscious through the process. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And then uh, everybody goes home, and uh, of Fred is super hungry. Because I mean, nothing works up an appetite like persecution. Persecution. <laughs> you got to balance food and activity. Working yeah, exactly for body well, you electricity. Can't, <laughs> you can't. You can't eat before uh, a salvaging, uh, because right. otherwise, well, you, you know, because um, <laughs> um, um, uh, what's her name? Um, Janine or Janine threw up, yeah. Yeah, Janine like was retching uh, afterwards, and that was sort of a reminder of why you can't eat beforehand. So you come home, come home pretty worked up and hungry. Um, Alfred is off to the market again. Uh, she bumps into Ofglen, but it is Ofglen 2.0. We have a different Ofglen. Um, and of course, Alfred is like, what's going on? Where did Ofglen go? And she wants to try to find out... But she's scared. Is, she's scared. But she kind she kind of steps pretty pretty broadly. I mean, compared to her interactions with the original of Glenn, how careful she was. Like this time, she just jumped right into it. Yeah, and I but I think to an extent, like that that stems from the the rapid just like it's a pretty rapid disappearance. Like this is the afternoon of the salvaging, mm-hmm. so like she saw of Glenn that morning. Yeah, and in a span of like three to four hours, now there's a different of Glenn. So after they're done at the market, uh, of Fred recommends or suggests that they visit the wall, where they where they go, and the the three bodies from that morning are still hanging. Uh, of Glenn says, "Let that be a reminder to us," which is one of those moments where of Fred could say one of two things. Um, the the correct answer is to say, "Praise be," but if this of Glenn is maybe part of the underground, the response would be to say something like, yes, as if to say, um, let us remember how we are being subjugated by men. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she takes the risk and she says, yes. And not really a response from of Glenn at that moment, though, though she notices like maybe a little bit of movement as if of Glenn had sort of stopped to look at her. Uh, as they continue to walk home, of Fred sort of continues to sort of ask questions about what might have happened to the former of Glenn. Um, and she tries to sneak out the code phrase. Mayday. Yeah. By so she's like, they met in May. Yeah. It was the first of May even. I think they, I think they used to have an, a word for that. Something like May Day. Um, she's a terrible liar. Uh, to which uh, of glenn says um you ought to make an effort to clear your mind of such echoes which of fred takes as a warning of like i i know what you're trying to do here uh it ain't gonna work with me Mm -hmm. 
Y'all best stop while you're ahead. Yeah. Um, but in those final moments, just before they um, they go their separate ways, of the new of Glenn does kind of like lean into of Fred and uh, and tells her that the the former of Glenn hung herself right after the the salvaging because one of the black vans had come for her. Mm-hmm. And so of Fred is able to go home feeling weirdly, I don't want to say upbeat, but like it's, it's a better, it's better for her in that sense, because one of her concerns was that if of Glenn had been caught and questioned and tortured, they would then find out about of Fred and then they'd be coming for her. So the fact that of Glenn has been killed means that in theory, she doesn't have to worry a whole bunch. Except then she gets home. And Serena Joy is waiting for her. Mm-hmm. With um with the sexy sequiny outfit that she wore out to Jezebel's. Uh Serena's not happy. And uh Well, she knows she knows because there was lipstick on the outfit. Yes. Well, uh, not so much the outfit, I don't think. Because I don't think she would have necessarily known about the outfit, but it was her cloak. Oh, right. It was Serena's cloak right. that that Fred um, wore over the outfit. I suspect that might have led her to um, maybe searching the commander's closet, searching his office, would have, which right. would have led her to find the sexy bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then what, doesn't she say something like, just like the other one? Yeah, I think so. So I'm assuming this is what happened to the one before, because like way back when she became of Fred, she was like, "Well, what happened? Like, you know, what happened to the other one?" It feels like yeah. it feels like she's heading down the exact same path. All right, now the final night. The final fucking night. Holy Part 14 shit! Fourteen and chapter forty-six. It feels like this was a f- roller coaster of a ride, like compared to Malcolm X, like the speed at which we got to the end of this book. Yeah, well, it's almost, I think it's almost 200 pages shorter. Um, and again, we were going every week. But the pace of this book just steadily increased. Like when you, when we started, like everything mm-hmm. was so mm-hmm. slow. Like like one day took, you know, basically the, the first section of the book that we covered. Yeah, the whole first section was just like, I'm going to buy chicken. <laughs> Let's talk about... What it's like to go buy chicken for yep. 30 pages. And then like this last section of the book where like everything happened, just like happened like that. But it's good because I didn't stumble on building this anything in my mind at all. Like it was it was all there. And walking through this last bit of story was just like walking through my own house, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was really great. Sorry, we're not at the end. I'm just no, saying. we're not. We're not. It was great. So, Alfred returns to her room, uh, kind of contemplating her fate. Mm-hmm. Um, shit's going to go down. Um, doesn't know exactly what. She starts thinking about things that she could do as like a, a final hurrah. Um, you know, she starts considering taking out the uh, the match that she mm-hmm. hid under the bed, lighting a fire, you know, wouldn't really destroy the house, but, you know, might do a little bit of damage. Give her um, enough time to, you know, get a head start. Die of smoke. Oh, oh, oh yeah. No, she was also right. thinking about dying of smoke inhalation. Oh, that's right. She also thought about hanging herself the way that she was talking about with that hook. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just um, lean forward or... But then... 
in the middle of the night. A black van suddenly arrives for her. And she hasn't, she's not prepared. She didn't, like, she's like, if I had more time, I could have, I could have done this, I could have done that. Yep, yep. But she doesn't have time to, to prepare for this black van. And as we know, the black vans are, they've got eyes in them. And yep. they mean. And this is what, this is what came for, um, of Glenn earlier that day as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, you know, the, 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 the boots on the ground up to her door, the door opens and it's Nick. It's fucking Nick. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> um, he's basically like, trust me, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Like he said, it's Mayday, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, he said, it, yeah. he said, just go with him. It's Mayday. Yeah. Yeah. But. What we what we know or suspect at this point in the story is that Nick um, Nick is likely an I mm-hmm. um, is also apparently part of Mayday, but he also could be lying about the Mayday thing in order to convince Alfred to get into the van. Right. But out the door she goes with the uh, the, the the troops from the van. Um, as they leave the house, Serena Joy is like, what's going on? Who are you guys? We didn't call you. Um, they're like, we have warrants. And she's like, I want to see them. We're like, F you. We don't have to show you nothing. No, I don't know. The, the, the commander asked for a warrant. They're like, do you have a warrant? And the eyes were like, none that we need. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically they, they, they skirted the issue. They're like, yeah, like we don't need you don't need to concern yourself with that. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, that's what I said in my, you know, in my my funky language there. <laughs> um, and she does... And Fred takes a moment to think, like, obviously, if, if the eyes have not been called by the commander in Serena Joy, they were intending, I think in her words, something like a more a more personal punishment for her. They weren't planning on turning her over. So in these final moments... She could choose to like grab onto the the banister of the railing and refuse to go. Mm-hmm. And you know, if the the eyes have no authority over her, they'll have to leave, allowing her to stay under the relative safety of the commander. Mm-hmm. Or she can Go with them into whatever the future may hold. See, now I feel that, like, if it was Mayday, and I think it, I, I mean, we, I think we, we kind of too. find out that it is because if she's made these tapes, she didn't make these tapes during her time yeah, at no, the that's commander's yeah. house, right? So obviously she wasn't sent to be executed. Whether yeah. or not her escape was successful, we don't know. With Alfred not knowing what is waiting for her, you know, beyond the van, um, we get the final line of the book, which is, um, you know, she's been brought outside, out to the van, and so I step up into the darkness within, or else the light. Mm-hmm. And and that's the end, except for the historical notes, which are an interesting read, but we are going to be saving those for the live episode. Don't want to talk too much about 
uh, what we thought about the book, because that's also what the live episode is for. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess we should talk about when the live episode would be. Let's do the math. Let me look at my calendar here. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, we'll be talking about the, uh, the historical notes as well as our overall take on the book during our live wrap-up episode, which will occur this time on November 29th, once again at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Podbean. Um, of course, links will go out on Facebook prior to that, um, earlier that day. And, uh, yeah, hope, hope if you've been listening thus far, uh, you can come and join us for the live broadcast. There's a live chat. People can call in and talk to us directly. It's a fun time. Um, we did that at the end of our coverage of the autobiography of Malcolm X. We didn't have a huge turnout, but it was fun to, uh, engage with the people that were there. We had a bigger turnout and, than uh, I was expecting. Yeah. Like it was actually, I, I really enjoyed that live episode. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think, um. Uh, the more that we're able to engage with people, uh, I think the more fun those live episodes will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to do yet another one and, and see who we can get to come out for it. Um, what else can we tell you? Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, as we, we just said, facebook.com slash band things happen. You can get, uh, find out when new episodes release there as well as find a link to our discord server. Um, we, you can email us. It's, uh, band things happen at gmail.com. We are also on Patreon where you can support us financially. If you like what we're doing, there are tiers, uh, covering everything from two bucks a month, all the way up to 500 bucks a month. If you are stupid rich and, uh, and <laughs> wait, feel like throwing wait, your money away. $500 a month one. Yeah, we do. Um, what, what the, what are, are this is like the second time jobs. This is the second time you've been shocked to discover that, even though <laughs> I sent you the Patreon to look at before it even went live. So, sir, you're not doing your job. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, that's... But, like, literally, uh, think, if, you, if you do the 500, I'll, you know, handjob's not out of the question. No. So, which, <laughs> technically, what you get for the $500 is that um, we will we will send you photos of whatever we buy with that money. <laughs> We will text you photos. It's basically, it's a chance to like literally engage with us one-on-one. Uh, when we buy like a cool new microphone, uh, we'll send you a picture of us like posing like dumb faces next to the microphone. And <laughs> that's it. That's what you get. That's what you... <laughs> Pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I can think of worse ways. Well... <laughs> Mike Zuckerberg. Hey, come on. Uh, help us out. <laughs> Um, okay, that's I think all we got. Any final words, Oren? Um, no, I mean I know we're going to talk about the, the the book as a whole and the live episode. I just wanted to say on this one, um, I know it started out rocky for me, but uh, I'm really glad that I read this book. It was a great read. Margaret Atwood has such a way with words. Some of the um, descriptions, the similes, the way that she—it's just—it's great. It's great. You heard it here first. Good morning. It's great. <laughs> it's, it was, uh, it's a great book. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, until next time, I'm Todd Sullivan. And I'm Oren Barter. And, uh, yeah, go read a fucking book or something. <laughs>